Welcome back everyone to America Explained with Quint and Jeffrey. Today is Friday, May 22nd. We come to you from a sunny St. Louis, Missouri. I'm Quinn Reiser. And I'm Jeffrey Walk. Thank you all for again taking the time to join us. Today we'll be reviewing this past week of politics and what has changed in the national conversation. Joining us today is Piper Gardner. Piper is 17 and a current junior in high school. She is a moderate Republican from Washington, D.C. and has worked for the Federal Circuit Court and helped with digital advocacy. Piper, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Um, so let's let's get right into the uh, the events of the week. Oh, in today's news, Joe Biden states, "I tell you, if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, then you ain't black." Keep in mind that this was on the uh, the popular talk show, The Breakfast Club, uh, on an interview with Charlemagne the God. Um, this is really uncomfortable, especially for a number of reasons, not just yeah. the most obvious one. Um, for starters, Biden very rarely, if ever, uses the word ain't, uh, <laughs> right. which kind of suggests that he's very obviously and blatantly changing his dialect to uh, communicate with the African-American community. Um not to mention that he's accusing them of not actually being part of the African-American community. Yeah. I mean, Joe Biden, I know he, he, he's trying to be a, a cool guy in the recent weeks with the, uh, the aviator sunglasses. Oh. Um, he, he was on a talk show or one of those YouTube videos. It's the Google autocomplete. Oh, I saw that. I saw that. And he, uh, probably you might've heard this. He said, I have two the brothers. Brother one? And- yeah. Yeah. He got Alabama's vote. He says, I have, I have two brothers and a uh, wonderful sister who's the love of my life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Well, I mean, we all know that Biden has one of his feet on the ground and one of them in his mouth. But, uh, um, Piper, how do you think this is going to uh, impact his standing with the African-American community? Um, honestly, I don't really think it's going to impact it too much, especially with his like comments in the past, the... The rich kids are just, or poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. It like it doesn't really have an impact. And anyways, like either the African American community is going to get out and vote for him, or they're not. Like in twenty sixteen, and it's definitely going to impact the outcome of the election. Right, and I mean, obviously, he has a lot of comments that have been widely uh, accepted and have been widely forgotten or forgiven or both. Um, back in his heyday as a senator, he uh, at one point stated. I don't want my kids growing up in a racial jungle, which is yeah. mm-hmm. a little yeah. bit worse than what he said now. But I think I think a lot of them are going to accept that, A, he misspoke, and B, uh, times have changed a little bit, and he's somewhat changed with them. I think the real worry is that, well, we're in May, and while we're all quarantined, Joe Biden is probably going to make a very few amount of public appearances. But as we get closer to the election – he's going to have more and more opportunities to, to screw up in, either, in an even bigger fashion. So um, for Joe Biden's sake, I guess I hope that he can stay quiet for a bit. <laughs> and uh, Yeah, well, I think like ultimately like the African-Americans, like right now they're not like really backing him. Like they're not very supportive. But I, in the end, it's just going to be like him or Trump. And they're obviously not going to choose Trump in the end for the majority. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if that's completely um, correct, given that he's he basically won the South because of the African American vote. But right. at the same time, I think uh, I think his support with them isn't as strong as 
you'd like people to think it is and the yeah i think the number like, of people that could sit out is definitely a large number like he was i think he was counting on um obama's endorsement to help him get mm-hmm. the african-american support yeah and we saw with a lot of the polling from the primary states um well biden did do really well with the african-american community um young african-americans uh did go for bernie like the rest of the young demographics in the primary mm-hmm. so i think it's uh it's going to be interesting to see how many of them decide is Biden really worth it to vote for and uh, maybe just sit out this election like they did last time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess we'll move on to uh, Dr. Fauci. He's an endorsed um, a new uh, coronavirus vaccine coming out of uh, a Moderna labs in uh, Massachusetts. Um he says that the vaccine could be ready for production and distribution by uh, December and January of this this coming year. So, I so, so I guess that it is a uh, some good news, but also it's uh, quite far away as we're in, as we're still in May. So yeah, uh, Piper. Uh, already, oh, sorry, you go. Oh yeah, Piper. How do you think um, Americans are going to react to you know, knowing that a vaccine may not be ready till this winter? Um, I think people like. It depends on which area you're talking about because some areas I know are getting impatient with the lockdown. Um, others, while like some states have like been looser or um, like lifted the restrictions, but like Americans are still hesitant to go out to see their friends, to go to eat. Like it's still going to be very cautious, even if there's a vaccine, I think. Yeah, and I, I think it's important to keep in mind we've already got. Um, more than 5.1 million cases worldwide, more than 335,000 deaths. And the U.S. alone has nearly 30% of these, while also only having like 6 or 7% of the world population. Um, so it's it's clear that this is impacting us disproportionately. Yeah, um, it's, you know, Georgia opened up uh, last week in Missouri, you know, where uh, Jeffrey and I, you, you and I are, uh, restrictions are starting to loosen it's the you know the question is um are americans you know what what is the are they going to be able to survive this uh, long period indoors i know a lot of wealthy americans um uh are but in a lot of poor americans they need the uh need the work and i think that's kind of the goal of our next we'll talk about next is the uh, the stimulus package is helping a lot of these uh um, poor americans who are struggling indoors yeah so I guess with that, we'll go on to um, the the House has recently passed a $3 trillion stimulus bill. Um, the Senate is unlikely to vote on it in its current form. So yeah, the uh, $3 trillion uh, stimulus package, the HEROES Act, as it's called, um, it has a lot of uh, Democratic proposals. Um, it has $25 billion for the Postal Service, um, a second round of $1,200 stimulus checks for Americans, um, funding for elections funding for more food aid, um, more funding for small businesses that and the like. Uh, an interesting provision that it has that is not a terribly democratic thing is it has a bailout for the groups that actually lobby on behalf of corporations. Um, so Piper, I want to get your thoughts on that. Um, does that, what is that, does that seem terribly democratic? Does that seem like it's following the interests of the party and the people? I honestly, I don't agree with that. I don't think it, I don't think it is at all. I think if we're going to be like creating these packages, they should be going directly to Americans and, you know, giving them the support they need when they're 
forced to be on unemployment and we shouldn't be bailing out big corporations unless because most of these corporations are still up and running such as target walmart they're still you know getting revenue and we shouldn't be focusing on that i think we should be focused on um, like on individual americans and their income right and then there's uh i think just following that point with the lobbyists i think it's just really funny um if you take a look their argument is essentially that the they're essential to be bailed out as lobbyists because they form so much of Washington's policy, and uh, and if that's if that's the case, then the whole government is just just already screwed because it's supposed to be independent <laughs> and it's supposed to be for the people, not for the corporations. And we've obviously seen more and more influence from corporate America, but well, that seems like really blatant power grabs. I mean, I understand the, to a degree, and as we said, Amazon and Target, they're probably doing fine during this pandemic, but a lot of companies, they kind of form the backbone of where people work. And if a lot of these companies go under, then even if people have money in their pockets that we we give them, they won't be able to go mm-hmm. back to work uh, after this lockdown's over. So I'm not... I'm not, you know, too concerned about propping up a lot of these businesses, um, you know. So, you know, what do you guys have to say about that? I, no, I think you made Something. a good point. We definitely like the big ones, which, you know, a lot of people have jobs at, especially in the middle class. Like, we need to keep make sure they're still in business and still functioning properly, especially when Americans return to work. Yeah, as the as the liberal on this uh, on this episode, I'm gonna I'm gonna play devil's advocate for you guys. I'm gonna say I'm gonna make the argument that the big corporations are the ones are basically the only ones that we shouldn't be bailing out just because these are, I mean, like everyone, uh, every, every economist I've ever seen write a piece has suggested that Americans have a fair amount stocked away for an emergency through at least a couple months. But these companies are, it's like, we're barely a week and a half into it and they were already begging for financial aid and assistance from the government. I, I think it's, I think it's fr- quite frankly disgusting to see how how either greedy they are and or how terribly mismanaged they are. At which point, under under capitalism, they should have just failed. Um, obviously, it would help promote more competition if some of these giants um, collapsed to uh, and left spaces for small businesses to grow. I'll I'll probably respond too to that, but I'll say I think that sounds great in theory. I think the worst thing we can have in a recession is also all these large businesses failing. You know, as much as we want to give uh, Amazon flack for the amount they pay their workers, they're also the ones that are cheaply getting goods to all of our all of American consumers. They're the ones who are keeping prices down and um, getting Americans the uh, things they need when they can't go out to stores. So I, I agree. I, I don't have so, a lot of sympathy for a lot of these companies that did not prepare for uh, a, a looming pandemic, but at the same time, we can't let our economy fail. Right, and I wouldn't argue that, but I think so. we're more worried about um, bailing out like the stock market than we are the actual economy. The stock market is important, but it's it has no it has no impact on on like on most Americans. Um, half of stocks are owned by the the top one percent of Americans. Um, meanwhile, we've got the stock market has rebounded an incredible amount and we're still millions of people are going unemployed each week 
we're uh, we're over 30 million people unemployed. Uh, we're reaching Great Depression levels of just unemployment, and the stock market is doing just fine. I think it's, I think these bailouts were well intentioned for the most part, but I think they're really addressing the wrong issues. I think you're, I think you're right about like the stock market about something we like we shouldn't be um, bailing out the stock market, especially because it is the most rich Americans which have stocks. Um, I think maybe the um, what we should be bailing out is the companies that which a lot of Americans rely on for their goods because especially because the people can't they need to get groceries and you know common common good items that we can't go to stores to get or we don't feel safe going to get and plus like I said a lot of the Americans have jobs at these places and they need to trust that they can have their jobs back when we go back um, into a normal time period I guess. Yes, we'll move on to the, our next topic, which is car- carbon emissions falling during the pandemic. Yeah, so the uh, United States' carbon emissions uh, fell 11% um, during this period, and we're still measuring, obviously, but so far they've fallen 11%. And then it's even more dramatic across the entire world. I'm guessing that's probably mostly because of the uh, lockdowns in Europe and especially in China. Uh, carbon emissions are down globally 17%. Um, which is probably the best news to come out of the pandemic. But at the same time, it's not going to be enough on its own to, to curb the, the oncoming uh, climate crisis that we're facing. Um, I read the same article and I noticed it also said that um, although carbon emissions have decreased um, 17% uh, through the pandemic, they're also estimated to rise 5% more um, after this is over and when we're back to normal. And, um, although I'm a conservative, I still believe in climate change. And I think it's probably one of the best things to come out of the pandemic. I agree there. And especially with like, not even just in carbon emissions, you can see, like, I don't know if you've seen the pictures in Venice, like the waters are clearing up and the animals are coming back. And I think it's, I think it's a positive aspect out of all of this. Though. Right. So given the, uh, just the, uh, the, the general, climate effect that it's had, what do you think is the best way that we can come out of this and try to curb any of the climate acceleration um, that you mentioned, Piper, um, from actually happening, trying to keep it below the levels that it was before? Um, I think, like, as a society, we can do... um, I I read that there's definitely going to be less mass transportation use after this. Definitely. People are not going to want to get back on subways and buses and airplanes. People are going to start driving their own cars more. Maybe um, people are saying they're going to buy more cars and we can make sure that, you know, we are being cautious in public transportation too, but still like utilizing it um, as best as we can. Maybe walking, biking to reduce emissions for sure. Yeah. I mean, kind of with that gas prices right now are at an all time low. Um, recent in you know, recent history, so that's kind of the the drawback, the you know the negative. Uh, when we talk about climate change. I think we can both agree that um, this the problem's not going to solve itself in the United States until uh, these um, clean energy sources begin to get cheaper and begin to get more reli- more reliable. You know, um, I'm all for nuclear power, but that's also met with a lot of criticism from both conservatives and... Yeah, there's a lot of stigma around nuclear energy. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're right to, but at the same time, it's progressed a long way. New nuclear plant technology is is a lot safer. It's a lot, it's a lot smaller. So 
a lot of people don't realize that if the new nuclear plants most likely won't have the giant like cooling towers anything like that it's it's much more contained and it's much mm. easier to uh to use without creating a ton of nuclear waste but yeah that's it's not so much an issue of of why we aren't as how we can start shifting to it but so jeffrey i'll go to you because you're the lone liberal in the room um what <laughs> what exactly do you want to see happen in terms of the united states uh climate change efforts i mean i think the united states needs to reinvest heavily just way more heavily into uh into the uh, into renewable energy um obviously that's not going to happen the uh the president has declared his uh his commitment to ending the war on coal that never was um but that means including more subsidies uh for coal oil and natural gas but we need to be creating more uh, wind plants. We need to be creating more offshore wind plants because there, there's really no downside to them, especially just because uh, they don't take up any land. They aren't. They're generally out of the way. They're out of the way of um, ship routes and the like. And just we need to shift towards this renewable energy uh, in order to yeah. to stop relying on. Them. I'll I'll um, go to Piper after this, but I'm I'm not a huge um, believer in the the wind energy because it's it's very unreliable and um it's not quite as it's it's more expensive than a lot of uh you know nuclear actually actually. what's getting cheaper once once you build it right you have to build it once you build it once you build it it is the most affordable form of energy per watt per kilowatt per million watts i don't know um but yes it's expensive to build but after that there's basically no cost for upkeep. It also is like unreliable because of also like, you know, present weather conditions. You don't know when it's going to be windy. Yeah. And that's fair. But that's, that's another reason why you build them offshore because there's always a breeze coming in from the, uh, from See, the, 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 the misleading thing about that though, when you talk about price per kilowatt is that right. It, after you build it, it's the cheapest, but the thing is, it doesn't really take into account how much energy produces from your building because it doesn't, it's not nearly as energy rich as coal or gasoline. Like, so you have to build a lot of them to, for it to be any uh, thing is like, I saw a headline that Denmark had reached 50, 50%, um, uh, 50% of their energy production was from clean energy. And that was actually kind of a depressing headline to me because when you think of Denmark, they're like the world's leaders in uh, hydroelectric and wind and yet they can only reach 50 percent from clean energy what does it say about the united states because while these um you know we can always say oh just use cleaner energy sources they're more expensive and only the you know the, the wealthy americans are able to afford you know not to drive a car or i mean not to drive an electric car or you know cut down on plastic so yeah that's kind of always been my uh my fear with uh, climate change efforts. Yeah, Piper, do you have any thoughts? I I definitely agree with Quinn there. Like when we need to, when we focus on climate change efforts, we need to focus on what is reasonable for everyone to do, not just to those at the top who can afford things like um, electric cars and solar energy and windmills and things like that. Yeah, I definitely agree. 
Um, I think we can go ahead and move on. Jeffrey, do you want to introduce our last topic? Yeah, so our final topic is about uh, President Trump. He recently claimed that he is taking uh, the drug hydroxychloroquine to prevent, to take as a preventative measure against coronavirus. Um, despite the, uh, the risks, um, the lack of any testing, um, and the, the reported shortages that it, that are occurring for it, for people that actually use the drug, because, uh, hydroxychloroquine is actually a, an anti-malarial drug, I want to say, and it's, um, and it's used to treat people with arthritis and lupus and some other chronic illnesses. So it can be really detrimental to those people when they don't have enough of it or when they can't access it. Yeah, you know, Trump, he likes to uh, – I'll, 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 give, I'll give him that. You know, he said uh, or tweeted, I guess probably, uh, about the positive impacts of the <laughs> drug. And then he, now he's taking it. So at least he's not just making these empty uh, – uh, Yeah, exactly. He's No, he's being the test subject too. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but at the same time, he's the president. And as much as I dislike him – as much as he's objectionable, um, it's it's never a good thing when the president, uh, the leader of the free world, uh, dies suddenly in office. Um, so I think it would be it would just be in the best interest to uh, to not take that. Plus, it shows it shows a corruption issue within the White House, just because the uh, when you see. No doctor in their right mind would ever, like, prescribe a drug like that that's untested. I think I read that he, like, was, like, offered it, I guess. And, like, he was, like, it was, like, mentioned to him. And he was, like, yeah, okay, let's do it. Like, I want that. <laughs> yeah, but it's, like, no doctor's going to prescribe that for him. He doesn't have any of the disease that it's actually meant to treat. Yeah. 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 Uh, it would backfire. Backfire, definitely. Yeah. Not to mention a Washington Post article on uh, where they mentioned a study that the uh, – that taking it actually leads to increased risk of death if you contract coronavirus. Um, yeah, it's true. Yeah, so we saw that uh, we saw positive results at the beginning, but it seems to be that that was mostly anecdotal. Um, so it's just it's just a really reckless move, and I think that's that's going to be a big issue. All right. Well, um, that kind of conclu- concludes our uh, our rundown. I guess we'll go on to the most important story of the week. As a Florida woman was busted for trying to kiss strangers at a bar, and then called nine one one about social distancing. Uh, All right. <laughs> oh, this one's—you know—this one's a lot more in depth than a lot of Florida articles, but it's no less enjoyable. So this Florida woman entered this bar, got intoxicated, began trying to uh, to kiss a lot of the the people there. Um, and was rebuffed and asked to leave. She refused, even as they were calling the the police. And then she eventually left and stayed in the parking lot, called 911 herself, and complained that they were not enforcing social Mm -hmm. distancing policies that she was very clearly breaking. Uh, there's, There's a lot. There's a lot there. I frankly am glad someone's standing up for public health. And... Of course, yeah. Unlike many people, just, we have concerned citizens. I like that. Such a hero. You know, Florida always always keeps it interesting. And I, mean, I think you know, uh, spreading 
body bodily fluids, you're kind of helping out a uh, herd immunity. Um. So. I hate everything you just said there. Um, well, some people just can't <laughs> handle the truth, so that's not my, not my fault. You know. Sure, whatever floats your boat, Quinn. <laughs> all right, all right. All right, Piper, you got any fi- final thoughts for the uh, for the show? Nope. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, viewers, for uh, for coming with us, and I'll let uh, Quinn take it out. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you, Piper. Uh, appreciate you being on the show. Uh, we yeah. had a very productive uh, couple minutes. I, I'm very glad to say that. Uh, I think we've single-handedly uh, cured Corona. We've got yep. to the bottom of Donald Trump's mind and, uh, <laughs> and embraced climate change. So I'm glad we're all in the same boat here. Uh, on that note, we will take it out. Um, thank you for listening to America Explained with Quinn and Jeffrey. Uh, we'll hopefully have another episode up this weekend. And uh, yeah, so from all of us at America Explained, uh, have a good day. <laughs>